Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of. One that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. So my first night in show business, honest to God, I got into music, comedy, gambling, and drugs, and prostitution. <laughs> all in, all five food groups in the same night. Hey, here we go. Episode 392, Gary Mule Deer. He just got inducted as a member of the Grand Ole Opry. He is so funny. I did not know he was in his 80s. I thought he's probably a young 70. I did not know he was in his mid-80s. I also did not know he didn't live in Nashville. Yeah. And we talk about this. He comes down once a month. To, from South Dakota to play the Opry. But his comedy career is so storied. You're going to hear stories about Frank Sinatra, Andy Kaufman, David Letterman. I mean, I don't really want to say anything else, but I'm a big fan of Gary Mule Deer, and we were trying to track him down to get him on this. It was a little harder than we thought because he doesn't live here. But even as much of a fan of him as I am, I still came away going, holy crap. He's been through a lot, has done a lot, has toured with a lot of people. Weren't you a bit mind blown? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he used to open for Dolly in like the 70s in Vegas. That's a hilarious story. So Gary Mule Deer, I just can't believe he's in his 80s. This is wild to me because on stage, he is rocking, man. Here is his highest streaming joke. It's called Grandpa. My grandpa used to say, listen, if we all like the same things, everybody be after your grandma. My grandpa used to say some weird things. He used to say things like, one good turn gets most of the blankets. One time somebody asked him what he wanted to be when he got out of high school. He said, no more in 25. I mentioned this to him, but Caitlin's grandfather had never been to the Opry, so I took her and Gary was playing, and he was laughing so hard. And I also was laughing, but we were both just dying laughing. But really love it. His documentary comes out called Show Business is My Life, but I can't prove it. It's coming out later this summer. Conan's a big part of it. All these comedians that say he influenced them. Carrot Top. But here we go. It's a lot of fun. It's Gary Mule Deer here on the Bobbycast. My introduction to you was the Opry, honestly. Yeah. And I consider myself a moderate 
fan of comedy, but then I was watching your stuff in the night. I was, it, it was just even different back then. It was really different. And yeah. I can see where a lot of these guys credit you as being an influence on them. Yeah, I run into that all the time. I have for some time. Into, lean up on the microphone a little bit. Yeah. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, they're always asking me, you know, younger guys will ask me too, like, you have any tips for me? I just always say, don't say anything unless it's funny. You know, I just, that's, <laughs> I always made sure I never had anything to fall back on. So you never had a, what do you mean fall back up, on stage I, or life? Uh, life. I just wanted to do this, and I thought mm-hmm. if I want to do it, I better do it right. Or, you know, so that's what I've been doing all this time. I was always a little under the radar. You know, I was up and down all the time. Did you, were you ever frustrated with being, I'll just say what you said, under the radar? Was there ever a frustration, like, I'm actually good and I'm different, but I, I still hasn't, like, hit like you wanted to hit? I deal with that now. Yeah. Every day. I feel, yeah. I feel that now. Were you feeling that then? Never did. Never have. i just always been pretty comfortable wherever I've been. I, uh, I, I was always, I always thought to me, just making $7,500 a week, in the lounges in, in the 70s and in, in Las Vegas, Reno, and Tahoe, and alternating with topless reviews, I thought that was as good as it gets. And every so often, I would do a Tonight Show. They never let me do a Tonight Show with Johnny because Why of my props and my guitar. Okay. They hated it, but when somebody canceled, they'd call me. I did 13 shows when people canceled. In fact, one time I did a show where the a guest host canceled. <laughs> one of the guests had to be the host. I mean... That they just didn't like my props. I remember one time I did a show that was so good on Tonight Show, they were still clapping through the commercial. <laughs> and after the after the show, I walked up to Freddie DeCordova. I said, what do you think? You're the producer. And he said, it was great, Gary, but that's not the Tonight Show. You want to be the Tonight Show? You wear a suit. You know, you come out. You get rid of all this stuff, your, your props, your guitar, all that stuff. We'll put you on three or four times a year. And that never worked out for me. So ironically, you know, a guy would do really well on the Tonight Show Johnny would call him over to sit down. That was a big deal. If you got to over to sit mm-hmm. down with Johnny, that you, you were made. With me, I, uh, I got to know Johnny better than they did because they just met him that night, you know, on the show. But Johnny would work the weekends in the main room at the Sahara, and I was in the lounge. So I would go up and hang out at, be backstage with him. He'd come and look, watch me in the lounge sometime. We'd sit around later after the shows and talk. And I got to know him pretty well. And the other guys that really did well on The Tonight Show except for two or three, like Steve Martin, who played poker with him all the time. Nobody ever really knew him like I did. What was Johnny like? I'm a massive late-night talk yeah. show. Like I used to go to the library. As soon as I could drive or get people to drop me off, I would go and watch old Jack Parr. I got a Jack Parr microphone. Yeah. Like So that, to me, you're talking about things I get just excited about. Yeah. But what was Johnny like hanging out? And why was he doing a set? Was he practicing material for the show? Because he wasn't... He just had a show, and he would do a lot of stuff from his monologues, but he had writers with him. And he also just... Did his own observations of things. Mm-hmm. He was he was the guy. And what I noticed about him, which is so different from today, you have a celebrity out around a lot of people. God, you know, they're they're, they're just they're just surrounded. And with Johnny, people kept a respectable distance from him. They always did. I mean, see, Johnny, we love your show. They, hi, nice to see you. Well, we saw your show tonight, but nobody came up for an autograph. He just had this thing about him, and he. I remember he taught me one thing. We would leave to go to the elevator to go to the rooms. People would talk to him, but he would just keep talking to him, but keep moving, not stop. And, you know, today that doesn't happen anymore. Why do you think that is with him? Because, you know, he's, what was he, from Nebraska, right? Was, yeah. So he's like middle America. Uh-huh. You really couldn't define where he was from by how he no. talked, where everybody no. felt like yeah. that he was from where they were from. Right. Was it? Did he have kind of like a, regal's a weird word, because we don't have that here, but like a, like he's some sort of, 
like royalty and you respected and liked him, but you didn't want to get too close because the rules were you don't. Like, why do you think that is with him? I'm not real sure because I see things like he'd be, he'd be in the main room and Buddy Hackett would be coming in the next week. And Buddy was out in the, out in the showroom or out in the casino trying to get all the attention he could get. He was totally different than John. There was something about John that people just respected and they really just kept their distance and we're just happy just to be able to see him, have him talk to them. And there was no, he just kept walking, just kept moving. And no one felt offended. Were you, you ever know? like, Johnny, let me let me come on with you. Let yeah. me, you know, why don't you put me on and call me over? If you're like hanging out, well, yeah. you never thought about kind of hopping into that water with him there? No, never did. No, I just, I was always happy with, I, I was. I always worked. People thought I was always the hardest working guy in show business. And I was. I had to work every night to keep even because I was a 24-year Peruvian marching powder guy. I mean, geez, I never. I went to bed Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for twenty five <laughs> years. I mean, I'm lucky to be here. <laughs> I mean, seriously. What was it like in South Dakota where you grew up? Uh, it was pretty cool. I grew up on a ranch, and I tried every job after I got out of high school. I have a record at Black Hill State Teachers College. I was a seven year freshman. <laughs> I had thirty three incompletes and an A in archery. Are you being for real? Yes, sir. Yeah, 33 incompletes. And an A in archery. Yeah, well, I mean, the A. <laughs> and that's why I came famous on, on shows by taking my guitar, using it as a bow, putting a rubber chicken on a microphone, putting a cigarette in its mouth, walking off 32 feet, and shooting, using my guitar as a bow, shoot, shooting the uh, cigarette out of the chicken's mouth. In fact, the record I have is on David, David Letterman. It was a 32 feet. So you set the record on David yeah, Letterman? I set the record on Letterman, yeah. Well, how many times did you go on Letterman? I was on Letterman about a dozen of each shows, each one, like late night and late show. So NBC and CBS? Yes. And I, we, we bonded immediately when I, when I met him. I'll never forget, I was at the comedy store a, f- a few years before he came in. When he went up for his first set that night, I remember standing in the back of the room, which all the comics did when a new guy came on their back, kind of sizing up the guy, you know, that kind of thing. And I remember him saying... He was doing an editorial. He said, you know, WXZY would like to take this time to say we are diametrically opposed to using orphans as yardage markers at driving ranges. And that got me right away. Wow, this guy is something. So I went up and sat till he got off, and we talked and became really good friends. I mean, that's that's how I've known Letterman. I was about probably 75, something like that. Yeah. I started... You know, my first time on stage was 1956, I think. What kind of stage could you get on? I was at the Silver Dollar Bar at the Ward Hotel in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I was a busboy at a place called Pahaska Teepee at the east entrance of Yellowstone. And the guy in the bar had a big country gentleman, a Gretsch guitar, and he could play one song, uh, Johnny Cash's Big River. I could sing it. So we got to be pretty good at it every night at the, in the bar. And on our night off, we went over to the to Jackson Hole, the Silver Dollar Bar. He got up and played Big River. I sang it. They gave us a couple of free drinks. We did about three times that afternoon. We got some food that night. And coming back, I remember driving his convertible, driving back through Yellowstone at night, which was something in 1956, and thinking to myself, someday I want to do that song with a band. And then I started putting bands together and started in folk music, I think about 59, 1960. And I got into comedy by mistake, by accident. The B7 chord got me into comedy. My first night, I, I'd, only, I'd, be, I'd learned, I think, 10 Johnny Cash songs and Mule Skinner Blues in the key of E. And uh, I went into the song with Johnny Cash's big, uh, Folsom Prison Blues, and the first two lines, I missed the B7th chord. And all eight people in the audience who had been ignoring me up to that time just stopped and looked at me. So I told the first joke I ever wrote, which was uh, Three Snails Molest a Tortoise. 
Officer arrives to make out the report. He says to the tortoise, all right, I want you to tell me exactly what happened. The tortoise said, well, everything happened so fast. And everybody <laughs> laughed and then went back to their drinking again. I went back into the song and I missed a chord or two all night long. And pretty soon I noticed I was getting more response from my comedy and my jokes than I was from my singing. And uh, I was playing the pinball machines in between my sets. I think I was getting $15 for the weekend. I was playing it from 9 to, to 1 with 45 on, 15 off. And this is honest to God true what happened. I lost most of my money between sets playing the pinball machines. And then when I got through, there was a lady sitting at the bar. I said, what are you going to do now, Gary? I said, well, I'm going to probably get something to eat and go back to Spearfish. This was in Deadwood, South Dakota. She said, come with me. She was the madam of the Pine Rooms, one of the brothels in Deadwood. There were, from 1876 to 1976, there were brothels all across, up, upstairs all along Main Street. And she was the uh, madam of the Pine Rooms. So I took my guitar and my amp and my, uh, you know, my little microphone, sat in the corner and entertained the guys who were up waiting to see the girls. There were miners, you know, from the mining camps. There were guys from the oil rigs over in Wyoming. They're the sheep herders up in Montana, all kind of in that area. And plus the college was only 10 miles away, of which where I got 33 incompletes and an A in archery. And uh, I played until about, probably till about uh, four in the morning. I'm starting to, to fade. And she walks up and gives me a little black pill about, you know, about, about, an, about half an inch long. It was Dexedrine. And I took this, and next day at noon, I was still playing my guitar. This is the honest to God truth. She came up and said, you know, Gary, you can stop playing now. So I stopped, and she said, by the way, one of the girls kind of likes you. So I went down to the room with one of the girls. But I just sat there and just talked. I was just so high, and pretty soon she looked at her watch and said, you know, I, I got to get back to work. So I said, that's okay. So I stayed up all that day, and then I started to fade that evening. And so I went up to that madam again. I said, if I can have one of those pills again, I'll come back after I get through with my set at the Buffalo Bar. So on my first night in show business, honest to God, I got into music, comedy, gambling, and drugs, and prostitution. <laughs> all, in, all five food groups in the same night. That's and a big that first night. My first night in show business, yeah. True. So were you funny as a kid? Were you smart as a kid? And not so much like, did you study and make good grades, yeah. but did you feel like you were quicker and more advanced than others? I was, I, and I could have made good grades. All I wanted to do was read. I'm still a reader. I read two and three books a week. My thing is to, my favorite time is to read till two or three in the morning and get up at 11, have something to eat and go play golf. That's kind of where, or go to get ready to do a show that afternoon or that evening. But that's, I still read two, three books a week. That's what I do. That's crazy, two or three books a week. Yeah, and I've always been a reader and a speller. By the time I got into first grade, I had an uncle that had a big business. He took me around, maybe read billboards to him and read the paper with him at night. I could read pretty well and spell by the time I was in the first grade. Yeah. Were you not challenged as a kid intellectually? And so, you know, you didn't make good grades because why would you? You're so advanced anyway. Do you feel like that was it? I got by. I always got by. I just always got by with whether I was with the teachers or whatever it was, or I, I hung out with the smartest kid in, the, in all the classes. My friend Billy McGuigan, he was a genius. He'd do my homework for me in a second. He'd do all this stuff for me. So I always got by doing that. And that's, uh, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I had a, I, we had a, had, was lived on a horse, you know, at the ranch forever. And then when I got out of college, I got married to my high school sweetheart. I had to get married. We, we had a son coming along. And my dad gave me the movie theater. We also had a movie theater and the ranch. So I would just, I remember how I got into the, to music with that. During the, the late 50s and early 60s, all the top groups came through. And there's a 2,000 
held a dance hall till 2000. They came through South Dakota? Yes. Spearfish, as, as, as a matter of fact, it was called the uh, Spearfish Park Pavilion. That's where I met Jerry Lee Lewis. I met the Everly Brothers. I met the Fenderman. I bet, uh, God, all these different acts came through all the time. Everly Brothers. And I would be at my theater the night before on Thursday night watching Kelly's Hotel across the street. When the guys pulled in, I would go over and tell them, you guys want to see a movie tonight? After, if you want, I'll run a movie and give you popcorn. And so they would all come over, and I'd keep the projectionist over, and they would watch a movie. Then the next side, I would get onto the park and stand by the stage, and they'd see the guy who gave him a movie and popcorn and say, can I get up and do a song with it? And so to this day, all, all the guys remembered me. The Everly Brothers, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, all of them remembered me. The Ventures even, getting up on stage. Ventures never played anything, sang anything. They just played. And they'd let me do uh, Summertime Blues and Mule Skinner Blues with them. And uh, that's how I got... To Work up. That's how I worked in uh, show business and spearfish. So you cut your teeth basically musically in a lot of ways with very famous people because you had a movie theater and you just kind of yes traded it out. Yes, and I finally decided to put a band together because I found the best musicians in the in the area. Were you good? Could you play? I could, I was just a rhythm guitar player and I could I would sing. Once again, I just got by because I had the best musicians I could find in the area. I had a guy that was an incredible guitar player. I mean, his, he played like Noki Edwards from the Ventures. He he played like James Burton. He played like, he could play anything, even jazz. And I found the best drummer. I found the best saxophone player, the best bass player. And we opened for all these groups when they came through. I've got posters opening for the Champs in 63. And I, I think I'm right about this. I think the Champs at that time, they had the song Tequila. Yeah. I think it was Glenn Campbell and Seals and Crofts were the first three guys in, in the Champs. And I remember that's when I met Glenn. And years ago, years later, when I came out to L.A., I got into a group uh, called The New Society and RCA Vector Records. We went in to record, and Glenn Campbell, we had the wrecking crew do our song. We went out on the road. We couldn't play our album. You had the wrecking crew do we your song? We had the wrecking crew, yeah. We had Carol Kay on bass. We had Jim Keltner on drums. We had uh, Glenn Campbell on guitar. And we couldn't play our album. It was just... Pitiful. They were so good. Yeah, they were so good. And we had this album. It was kind of doing okay, and we couldn't do any. We couldn't play it. You know, these guys were so good. But it was amazing for me to... I, went, I won the talent contest with another guy called the Black Hills 2 at, at this college that I flunked out of. We went. The first prize, you got to go to Denver, Colorado. You got to play free at the air base for the officers club. They gave you a meal and put you over the night. That was your. That was it. Sounds like work. Yeah, it was. That <laughs> was the job. So my partner went back to South Dakota, and I stayed down there. And uh, I saw a sign up one night that said Jose Feliciano coming in. I didn't know who he was, but it said they're looking for an opening acts. So I went in and uh, met when I met Michael Johnson. You know, I had Blue Earth and Blue and Let's Spend the Night Together, those songs. Michael and I both got the jobs working with Jose Feliciano. And uh, I hung out in Denver and did as many bars as I could. And a friend came up to me one day and said, can you play bass? I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm going out to join the Greenwood County Singers in L.A. They're looking for a bass player. I said, okay. I could Could you play bass? No. Okay, I was no. going to say. No. Yeah. I couldn't play bass. Got in, we went out to California. I went in with the, with the group. In fact, Van Dyke Parks was the leader of the group at the time. And uh, they had me a bass. They said, let's play our hit. Went into the, uh, the Frankie and Johnny song. And uh, I couldn't play. And we, everybody just stopped and froze and looked at me. And the guy that brought me out says, what? And... Uh, <laughs> I said, I can't, but I'm pretty funny. And, and I remember Van Dyke saying, Gary, we're not looking for funny. We're looking for a bass player. So I went out on the street and waited while they rehearsed that night. He came out to me and said, you know, I'm, we're leaving. We're going on the road tomorrow. I, I know a guy. He's a cook at Leadbetter's. It's Randy Sparks Club that had the new Christian Minstrels. He can, you can stay at his house the first night. You're on your own. He dropped me off at the club. I went in. Honest to God, 
the MC was John Duchendorf. He wasn't John Denver yet. Steve Martin was the magician. He had an act that never worked. The carpenters were 12 and 13 years old who had to sit with their mom out in the, in the alley in the car between jobs, between shows, I mean, because they, had, they served liquor. It was Mike Settle in the first edition. Kenny Rogers was just the bass player in the group. And, that was, and then we had the back porch majority, which was the farm team for the new Christian Minstrels. So that was my first, my first night walking into this club. Let, let, let me walk back through this for a yeah. second. So yeah. the MC was John Denver. John Denver. He was still John Duchendorf. He hadn't changed to be Denver yet. Yeah. So that by itself would be a crazy story. Yeah. Obviously, Kenny Rogers, before he went solo. Yes. He, he was just part of the band He's there. He a bass player. Yeah. yeah. He could play bass, actually, was yes. the difference there. Is he yes. actually knew how to play it. He played. He was yeah. good. Um, who was... Uh, the Carpenters. The Carpenters. 12 and 13 years old. I think that's what they were. Crazy. Yeah. And Steve Martin was the magician. With an act that never worked, yeah. And so you see that. Did Now, were you performing? Did you do anything that night on stage? Not that night, but the next night, I came back with the cook and the guy that ran the place, Danny Whelan, his his wife was one of the back porch majority. They were a farm team of the Christie Minstrels. He said, are you old enough to check IDs? I said, yeah. Were you? Yeah. Okay. I was You've lied a lot, so I, I don't was, know. I'm I know, yeah, I yeah. lied all the time. Yeah. He, I was actually 22. <laughs> I could check IDs. So he said, by the way, Michael Martin Murphy is leaving the New Society and they're holding, uh, they're holding auditions tonight. So write down people's names after we're going to have auditions. So after that, I wrote my own name in and I went up on stage and I, the silliest thing I did, I just said, I'm new, I'm from South Dakota. I was just outside and I saw some guy having an argument with a girl and she stabbed him in the hand with a fingernail file and she screamed and took off. I said, I'm just from a small town. I took my hand out of my pocket and I had it wrapped with some <laughs> lip- lipstick on to make it look like... <laughs> like it was, it was you. That, yeah, yes. and for some reason, yes. Randy Sparks thought it was great. And he said, that's it, you're in. I, he, and I didn't know any of the songs. We're going on the road in two days. Then we're going to go down and do the Miss Universe pageant in Miami at the at the Fountain Blue Hotel. And we're going to be the, with the Pat Boone as the host. And we're going to do that. And then we're going to do uh, Jack Linkletter's Talent Scouts on NBC. And this is, I didn't know anything. I didn't, but you were in L.A. for a day, like a day, two days. Two days. At this point, two days. Two days, the right time, at the right place at the right time. But you also had to do the right thing at the right place yeah, at the right time. I was funny. So we changed it to where I would just introduce all the songs and made fun. And I just, they always made me sure my microphone was, my microphone for my guitar and my vocal were off until I learned the songs. And that's how I got into got it. I mean, just being at the right time. Hang tight. The Bobby Cast will be right back. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. 
as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And we're back on the Bobbycast. If it hadn't happened, but again, I don't think you give yourself enough credit because you did the right thing at the right place at the right time. But if that hadn't happened so quickly, do you think you'd have moved back home to South Dakota? No, I wouldn't have gone to South Dakota. I'm not sure what I'd have done. I just, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, even at that point. You know, I was just, I was so happy to be into this group. And it was so incredible. There's a story that I love to tell. I'm going to drop a few names here, so keep your feet. We love the name drop. Okay, well, watch your feet, because I'm going to tell you this one. So, I was in the New Society, and we went down to the Miss Universe pageant. And, of course, these girls hadn't been around guys for like six months. And we were out at night. We, they would sneak out of the rooms. We were out on the beach with all the Miss Universe girls. And... One girl that got runner-up, Miss Israel. V.B. Israeli was her name, they called her. She was runner-up. I gave her my phone number, and I was in L.A. About a week later, I get a call from her, and she had been hired by, hired by Israeli bonds to be a spokesperson for them, and she was put up at the, at the uh, I think it was a big hotel, very close to somewhere around Westwood. I can't remember the name of the hotel. But anyway, she had a suite. So she said, move in with me. So I moved in with her. I was with her two nights, and I had to go on the road to play a place called Bimbo's up in, Cal- up in San Francisco and with, with the, with the uh, New Society. I'm up there a day, and I'm rehearsing in the afternoon. The bartender says, you got a phone call. And it was her. She said, Gary, your stuff's with the Bellman. I'm getting married. <laughs> So that's quite. She wanted to, she wanted somebody to had a lot of money could bring her mother over. So I uh, said okay. So I just got my stuff with the uh, with you know from the Bellman. Now here we go. Ten years later, I'm with Deborah Winger. We were together for a year and a half. We were in Las Vegas gambling. We have run out of money. We have no place to go. So we go over to see Freddie Prince opening for Andy Williams, thinking we could get something from him to keep us awake. All Freddie had were quaaludes. Which so is the we, opposite. Yeah, yeah. So we did quaaludes and gambled, so that didn't work very well. <laughs> By the way, anyone listening out there, don't do this. And uh, so we gambled away all of our money on quaaludes. So we went over to the Stardust Hotel. I called Jim Hager from the Hager Twins because he was part of that group, too, that I forgot to tell you about with Aunt Randy Sparks that night. The Hager Twins were there to send us $100. So Deborah Winger and I are standing in the Stardust Hotel waiting for a $100 telegram to come with some money to get home and i'm walking around the place and i'm looking for uh i'm looking for money that people might have missed in the in the you know in the pans or the slot machines and i hear hey gary i look over and there's two ladies sitting there and they're they're hardcore slot players because if we're wearing gloves in those days the, the stuff that dropped down was pretty dirty so they were wearing gloves they had pot bellies they had cigarettes hanging out of their mouth it was miss israel and her mother <laughs> and she says 
Hey, Mom, that's Gary. Remember Gary? I told you about Gary. Mom says, yeah, I remember Gary. And Deborah stopped playing, just talking to us. Cigarettes hanging out of their mouth. So Deborah Winger waves to me and says, the money's here. I walk over and she says, who is that? I said, Miss Israel, 1967. She says, yeah, right. I said, boy, do I have a story for you. <laughs> and that's one of my stories. So uh, a couple things you said. I, I'm just trying to remember to get back to them. But you went to watch Freddie Prince. Did you know him? I knew him very well. In fact, I was on the first HBO comedy special, Freddie Prince and Friends. I was one of the five people on that show. So his death, obviously, he died very young. Yes, he did. That was a horrible thing, yeah. And to, apparently, from what I have, because again, being a fan of comedy, and you would hear people just talk about how great he was in yeah. his brief time, Yes, that he kind of came on so strong and so fast, he was so good, that there was so much potential that we never really got to experience because he died so early. Exactly. What, right. what was he like as a performer? He was incredible. He was really, really good. His best friend was Alan Bursky, who was a comedian who actually was with him when that happened. I mean, Alan's never gotten over that. And we don't know exactly why what happened. We know that Steve Lebetkin didn't get on the, uh, the comedy list one night, so he went next door to the Hyatt, went up to the roof and jumped off into the, uh, like, 20 stories down into the comedy store parking lot with freddie we never really knew exactly why he did that i think he was skewering around he always had guns i think it was almost accidental maybe a russian roulette kind of thing i don't know i'm not sure even even uh no even the people really close to him really have no idea why he did this was he dynamic on stage yes he was there was something boy immediately you were drawn to him when he walked up there's just something about him that was just his his accent, his his just his way he looked on stage, everything about him was incredible. Yeah. When you look back at other comedians that you've seen, you mentioned Letterman. Yeah. You saw his first ever set. Who did yeah. you see really early on, where you saw them went, dang, they are so good. Either in a way of like adoration, or like mm -hmm. at times for me, I'm like I get jealous. I'm like, man, they are yeah. so good. Like who was that for you? Steve Martin. As soon as I saw him, I knew he was going to do well. And we had a place together. I was him and I and Michael Johnson lived together for a while. You live with Steve Martin? Yes, he was my roommate, and he was worked for the Smothers Brothers show. I was too irresponsible to be at the office every day, so I just would ever so often send in stuff. So Steve's been on the show about three, four weeks. He has, he has contributed nothing. He calls me and says, "I need a couple of things from your act." I said, "Sure." So he gave me. He wrote them out, gave them to the guys. They worked perfectly. Tommy said, "Okay, you're in." But Tommy had come to him and warned him he was going to have to let him go. That broke his writer's block after that. So he always gives me credit for that. So I, I broke his writer's block on the, on the uh, Smothers Brothers show, yeah. I can't believe you live with Steve Martin. Like, to me, I don't know who yours is because I'm going to ask you this, but if I were to do, like, you know, my top four greatest influences of all time on yeah. me, at who I, not who I've met because I haven't met, any, but it's like Letterman because uh -huh. I saw a guy who was a bit irreverent, didn't look like what everybody else looked like. Right. Well, which is odd, yeah. but... People were drawn to him. Yeah. Like it's Letterman, it's Steve Martin, it's both of those guys. Yeah. And the fact that you've had relationships with both of them. I was always attracted, besides Letterman, I was always hung out with funny musicians. To this day, I, I, most of the funniest people I know are musicians. Conan? Yeah, uh, Conan. I mean, uh, Roger Miller was one of the, the fastest and quickest I've, I've ever known. But people like that, Jack Benny was my influence who played a violin. I mean, he could really play. But I, to this day, I notice a bunch of musicians hanging around, really funny. A bunch of comics hanging around, it's one guy trying to top the other guy. Mm. It's, I, I, and I, so I just kind of got away from that. I was always with the musicians. That's, we, we'd get through at the comedy store, everybody would go, 
out to a deli and talk and do stuff, I would go out down to the strip, and that's where I met Robbie Krieger from the Doors. That's where I met the Birds, where I met all these guys going way back. I was always attracted to the guys that played. And to this day, it's the same thing. Would you play then? So when you dedicated your life to doing more comedy, obviously you kept playing because you had the guitars. Yes. But would you try to stay, let's say, in shape playing-wise in case you ever needed to really play? No, I just always made sure I had a joke ready, and I could only, I've could. i never been above the fifth fret. That's the honest to God truth. <laughs> Roger Miller said there's no money up there. He's right, but I just use it. It's true. It's true. I see you got a picture of me right there with, with my guitar on, on this, and with this right now. You see where it's all worn off up there at the top of the yeah, sound yeah. hole? Yeah. That's cocaine days. From what, though? Just slashing at my guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Like trying to make a lot of noise to make it sound like I was, you know, trying to be a, be a one-man band, whatever. Once I stopped doing drugs, I never did anything like that again to that guitar. By the way, that guitar now has 56 guitar players signed on it, on the front and back of it. Yeah. I uh, we uh, was at the Opry uh, a few weeks ago, and my wife's grandfather came. He'd never been to the Opry uh-huh. before. I, we, I talked to you before the show. Yes. It was the last time that you and I had seen each other. And... Vince was playing, you were yeah. playing, and I was telling him, I was like, Gary's hilarious, you're going to love him. And he's like, yeah, I've never, never seen comedy at the opera. It had been a while since. Yeah. And so he came out, and I remember him and I both laughing so hard. Do You have two, you have 40 years splitting yeah. us up. Yeah. And we were both laughing so hard. <laughs> did you find that your comedy then, let's say 70s, 80s, did you find that it was palatable, even enjoyed by different ages, or were you kind of dialed in more to a certain demographic? I always worked with, every, with all ages. And I just, I'm really, they always said laughter is the best medicine. And I think they meant, I think they meant healthy laughter. All my, <laughs> all my laughter is above the belt. And here's, a, here's something, a good example. If you take somebody like Andrew Dice Clay and the late Bob Saget, and they're on stage, and they're doing the best they can with the audience. There's a certain decibel level that they are. And then you take somebody like Rita Rudner, uh, 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 myself, whatever. When we're up there at that same level, it's a different sound. It's, a diff- it's darker. The other, the other comedy is darker. Mine's always healthy. I love it when people come up to me and the mom says, I've never laughed with my kids before. The kids say, we never laugh- seen dad laugh like that. Mm-hmm. They, usually the kids hate what the parents think's funny and vice versa. And I just seem to bridge the gap. I always have. And that's what I was saying, too. Like, yeah. both of us were just dying. There's yeah. the bit that you did at the start of it. It was, I think you were playing Ring of Fire. Yeah. And it was, you know, I fell in play. And you drop your guitar pick in the guitar. Then you spend the next 20, 30 seconds just trying to get the guitar pick out of the guitar. Exactly. I was laughing so hard because that is a brave segment to do. Yeah. Meaning you just got to trust that the awkwardness. Yeah is going to translate into some people and they're going to know that it's funny. That's right. It happened to me, actually happened to me, and people were laughing so hard, I just kept it in. <laughs> so I've got about, I got about 20 good picks in that guitar if you shake it. And, uh, and I put it in ever since. Then when I found Ring of Fire, it was perfect. Because when I fell in, boom, boom right in. And just right in, and it's, oh no. And then right down, I'm down on, I'm down on my knees, so there's the guitar mic right there. So then I can tell a few jokes in the guitar mic until I get them going, then I can raise, get back up again and, and do the show. I've just always had a lot of fun up there. I'm just, and there's certain things that I've, I don't know. There's not many things that, I've, that I can't do anymore that I've been doing for, for 60 years. Do you still write? I still do. I still do it. Do you have every, all the jokes written down somewhere, though? I do. I have some. I just, in fact, they're doing an exhibit of, of all of my old stuff at the opera. They're going to start 
putting it in one of those glass cases. So I got a suitcase full of stuff to take to him. And I've got a guitar case from the 60s and 70s. It has so many stickers on it That's and set lists that I just put on it. And I noticed one that I just found yesterday. I stay with Randy Hart. My, he was my, fav- my best friend. He was the staff keyboard on the Opry. I met him when he was Roger Miller's... Uh, music director in 77. That's another story. Anyway, I've got this guitar case and I noticed something that I said a long time ago. I said, it's not who you know in the business. It's just knowing if they are really in a meeting. (laughs) (laughs) I'd forgotten that completely. I saw another one that said, bigger, bigger things have never been falling through lately. I've I've had some things fall through I never dreamed I'd even get close to. Stuff like that. But I have all over my guitar. I've got a lot of stuff. Yeah, I've been writing forever. And I, I write 80% of the stuff is my own. The other 20% is maybe I'll hear a joke and I like it. And I, I tailor it to, my, to what I like. I've, I found a joke here just now uh, that I rewrote that now I have to end my show with. I can't follow it with anything. It used to be I would follow in my show with uh, a, couple no, a couple of months ago. There was a knock at the door. I answered it. It was two Jehovah's Witnesses. I invited them in. We sat down on the couch. I said, well, what do you want to talk about? And they said, we don't know. We've never made it this far before. <laughs> That's what I always ended the show with. But now I just do that with the first thing when I dropped my pick because I've got this new joke now that's just ridiculous. And it, it works so well. I just, I end with it. You know, I've been with Johnny Mathis in the orchestra now for 30 years, going in the middle of his show. Johnny comes out and does 35 minutes. I come out and do 30. He comes back and does an hour of 15. I've been doing that for forever. And I can, you can trace everything I do back to the game of golf. When I came out of rehab, I needed a new addiction. And in 1987, I took up golf at 47 years old. And everything I do now, I don't care what it is, we can trace it back. The Opry, the Nashville now, anything that I do came out of celebrity golf tournaments. It just... That's how it happened with me. So I want to go back a little bit yeah. to being in South Dakota. You're, you lived on a ranch. Yeah. You had a theater. Um, your mom, was she around? My mom was around. Okay, so your mom and dad, they were both there? Yes. And what did they, first of all, to you, what kind of relationship did you have with them? And then secondly, what did they think of a kid from South, because I'm from Arkansas, and, yeah. and my dreams were like aliens to people yeah. there because nobody left. Yeah. What did your parents think about your dreams of music or leaving to do something creative rather than staying home? Well, I'd failed at everything else, and they weren't really sure that it was going to happen. In fact, I just kind of took off. I, I ran away twice, from, ran away from home twice, once when I was a sophomore and once when I was a senior in high school. But I also, I have to tell you this, how I lost the movie theater, my dad took it back. He gave me the theater as a wedding present to, to run, for, and uh, I had to give him $500 a month to run it. And this is what happened. This is how I lost the movie theater. If you, ever, you remember Alfred Hitchcock's mm-hmm. movie, The Birds? Mm-hmm. Okay, well. But the birds were like, ah. So if you were sitting in the audience down below the balcony watching The Birds, what would you do if somebody like myself and my assistant manager threw four live pigeons down into the audience? Yeah, well, I mean, I would... Yeah. yeah. That would freak me out. Well, that's what I did. Yeah. That's what we did. It was like live, live action. Yeah, my dad... You're way ahead of your time. My dad took back the... <laughs> It's just the worst. Do you still <laughs> live in South Dakota? I still live in Spearfish. I'm back in Spearfish, yeah. I had no idea. You play the Opry. I mean, I feel like I see you play the Opry a lot. Do you come in every time for that? I come in every time for it, yeah. I do. I come in one month, one one week a month. Yeah, I do. I'm blessed to have this. I mean, I just about break even. It's incredible. Whenever you <laughs> were invited, uh-huh. not inducted to different things, obviously, yes. whenever you were invited to be a member of the Grand Ole Opry, 
Did you sense in any way that that was coming? No, I did not. I was with Henry Cho, and we were under, they were under the guise they were doing to do a new t uh, circle show called The Co Comedy of the Opry, and they wanted to interview us about the comedy in the Opry. And so it was all set up. They had cameras set up, the whole thing, but it, actually they, were, they weren't doing anything. Marty Stewart was asking us questions, and at the end he said, well, our time's about it. He says, by the way, uh, the Grand Ole Opry members would like to invite you both to be members. We had no idea. I really did not. I had no idea we were going to be in inducted or invited even. Yeah. How did you create a relationship with Nashville and the Opry at the beginning? I think being on TNN, TNN was a natural fit for me. I had, I'd got, a, I'd done everything. I'd done all the clubs. I'd, I wanted to get out of clubs. I wanted to get into other stuff. So I decided to go and do cruises because the were families and they paid a lot of money. And I got that, by the way, I was playing a golf tournament with the Charlotte Hornets. And my partner was a guy, was a guy that was, uh, I didn't know anything much about him. And about halfway through playing golf, he said to me, Gary, how come you don't do cruises? I said, you don't pay anything. He says, how much do you want? And I thought, oh, great. I said, who are you? He said, I'm the head of Royal Caribbean Entertainment. Uh. I said, okay. I just doubled my price. He said, all right. I thought, oh, great. <laughs> he said, well, you know, you'll get more if it works out. And it did. And I did 168 cruises. Wow. So I did that and also started working on TNN. And it was a natural fit for me. In fact, Roy Acuff, Acuff asked me to do the first Opry because he, he saw me on TNN. I think I did 60-some th shows with, uh, with Ralph Emery. And I did all the other shows. I used to watch Ralph Emery all the time. Yeah, Crook and Chase and yeah. everything. Yeah, I yeah, did, yeah. did them forever. There were all those shows in Nashville that was perfect for me, perfect fit. And they said, oh, you're a country comedian. Well, I said, I guess I am. I never thought about it that way. But yeah, I do country music and I work well with families. And that's what I've done forever. And I was on the last year and a half of Hee Haw. That was weird, too. That was great. That was, I loved it, you know. So, to I want to get to Hee Haw in a second, but to backtrack. So, you say country you say country comedian. Were in L.A. Were you like the country guy? Did I they? was kind of. Yeah, I was. I always wore a cowboy hat and cowboy boots, and I always had a guitar. Yeah, and I wore unusual, unusual clothes. Okay. Did you play into that a lot too? I did. No, I just wore whatever. You just I wore what you wore. Yeah. And I have I, the guitar that I'm giving them for this exhibition. I've, there was NBC tried to do a country show once. They tried to do a country show. What do you mean country show in what uh, with, way? Like, well, they put me, Carl Perkins, and a couple other people as regulars on it, and they tried to do a half-hour country western show on NBC. In like Prime comedy Prime. or music? Comedy and music. So like Hee Haw? Yeah, it was, and it only lasted about one season, but I remember I wanted, a, I wanted an unusual guitar, so I always played Japanese copies of J200s made in Mexico. They were $100. They looked like a, they looked like a good guitar, but they weren't, and I had them, at that time, generic products came out all over the country. It was like it had a name of what it was, like oatmeal, and then a barcode, right? So I had them put, make me a, a guitar like that. I had them painted white, I had them put a barcode on it, and guitar across the front of it. And then instead of having Fender or Gibson up at the top of the neck, I had them put Ralph's Supermarket. And I played that thing for 22 years. That's the guitar I'm giving them now for the exhibit. But yeah, I've played all kinds of different things, and I never thought much about it. My guitar strap always had a quiver on the back with arrows in it, so every, every so often I would just take out an arrow shoot and it. shoot it into the audience. So then I started doing the chicken thing, you know, with the thing. But, yeah, I always, yes, I, I had 300 pounds of props at one time and a partner. Mule Deer and Moondog Medicine Show from 70 to 75, we were pretty unusual. In what way? Musically and, and skit-wise and everything we did. 
We did incredible parodies on commercials. We did historical things, which people would know now. You know, Ben Franklin running into John Hancock and we're upset because Betsy Ross has got a flag that looks like a Holiday Inn um, uh, towel. doesn't look anything like it should. Things like that. But we did all these things and it was pretty amazing. And it, it went very fast. It went really fast. And uh, we were way ahead of our time. We did in concert. We did Jack Parr when he came back on the air. When Jack Parr came back on the air, Mule Deer and Moondog were his favorites. And we also were, were Hefner's favorites. We played every Playboy club probably a dozen times. And one night I was playing a Playboy club. We got through with our act. A guy comes up to me and says, someone wants to meet you in the back. I walked back. It was Jack Benny who shook my hand and said, young man, you have the potential of my timing. And this is when I had an afro that was like two bushel baskets. You could hardly see my eyes. I got a picture of him and I on a TV show together the next day in Chicago. It was Irv Cups and Eckers. Anyway, he had a daily TV show. I'm on with my idol. He, he was my influence because I grew up with radio. No TV until I was a senior in high school. So that was something to me I never forgot. And I think a lot of it is my timing, you know. But again, I hear you. I think timing is a big part of it. But yeah. if you hadn't had whatever that innate, whatever, you, you could be in the right place at the right time forever. But if you're not doing the right thing, it ain't going to work out. That's right. The Bobby Cast. We'll be right back. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome back to the Bobbycast. Just thinking about your mule deer. Mm-hmm. They called you that because you were able to literally spot mule deer? Yes, Is that right. really the, the... I did. I drove the bus and <laughs> we'd, we'd be stopped and the band would go, what's going on? I'd be spotting mule deer with the spotlight. I had a, Chry- a Chrysler uh, a Chrysler engine in a uh, old four four or five seat uh, limo, 
and I would drive that, and I was always high. So people wouldn't even notice in the band that I hadn't been to bed yet. We'd drive from one place to the other, and then I'd do a show, get back and drive again. And I'd go to bed about every three days and still be the host you know, and, and be the guy that ran the show. How did you not die? I don't know. I mean, it all... I mean, it took two times. I went into intensive care in 87 and... Uh, from? From... Uh, a wreck or overdose? Cocaine. Or? But, okay, got yeah, so like overdose. My heart was going so fast. I right. almost had a stroke and almost had a heart attack. And uh, the guy said to me when I came out of it, if you ever do this again, you're going to die. So you better go upstairs. So I went upstairs in uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in Burbank, right behind the MB NBC, and stayed in there for 30 days. I went right to the heroin addicts because I knew they had all the chocolate. And I stayed in there for 30 <laughs> days and gained about 30 pounds, came out. And I remember Randy Hart, my friend Randy, who was Steve Warner's uh, music director at the time, they were playing a place. They wanted me to come over and see them. So I went over to see them. I was house-sitting at the time. I'd been on rehab 10 days. They left They left town, and I went back to the house. I was house-sitting, and I thought to myself, I can probably do a half a gram. It won't hurt anything because I was having trouble writing and doing and making a song work. And there was a guy in the, in the San Fernando Valley that roamed with a pager in those days. And if he wasn't there in 30 minutes, it was like Domino's. It was free. He was never late. He brought me half a gram of cocaine. I put out two lines. I snorted one. Boom. My heart. I hit the floor. I remember crawling over to his, my friend's phone that I was house sitting for. Called 911. Crawled out to the curb and waited for him to come and get me. Ironically, when I got into intensive care that night, it was the same guy that had, had me before I went to rehab. And he said, now, I remember him saying, if we can stop, slow his heart down, he, he's got a chance. And when I came out of it, he said, now do you believe me? I said, yeah. And I never did it again. That was it. Yeah, and that's why I took up golf. I gave I gave up one four letter word for another one. I gave up uh, Coke for golf. Yeah, I saw you at uh, Pebble Beach this year. Yeah, you were playing. Um, and you know they have everybody do something. Yeah, and I didn't even know you were there. And I'm sitting in there, and I just met Ron Rivera, the head coach of the right. Commanders. Yeah, and I'm like, and everybody was super cool. First time I'd ever been invited to go up there. Yeah. and I'm looking around and going, man, I kind of don't belong like these are really famous people yes and but everybody was so nice i've never been to an event like that where there were so many famous people and the rule was you better be awesome or you're not gonna get invited back yeah, yeah. and then they're like here's gary muldeer and i was like gary's here <laughs> yeah. and then you get your guitar and you crush and you he, crush the room and i wasn't even supposed to be on that night i brought my guitar i had to be with me usually i do the volunteer show on thursday but i couldn't because i had to go work somewhere else but uh yeah i remember my first celebrity golf tournament was the uh, LPGA. Well, actually, I was playing golf out at Balboa and Encino out in San Fernando Valley, and I played a, just a public course, and Smokey Robinson came up mm. to me and said, you ever done a celebrity golf tournament? I said, I don't even know what they are. He said, I'm going to take you to one. So he took me to Roy Clark's, and that was my first one. But my biggest tournament, my first big tournament was the Kraft Nabisco, which was the LPGA thing the ladies did. It was originally the Dinah Shore. I remember the guy, Terry Wilcox, calling me the day of my practice round and saying, Gary, you're going off at 1030 with Joe DiMaggio, John Havlicek, and, uh, and Johnny Unitas. Is that okay? This was my first. So one of the greatest baseball players yeah. ever. Yeah. Huge Celtics, like yeah. best basketball player, and then a crazy famous NFL player. The big, biggest ever, yeah. And that was my first time. I hit the worst drive in my life. I think it went about 30 yards. <laughs> But I've been a Yankee fan ever since I was nine years old. Was DiMaggio awesome? Oh, I got to know him really well. He became my pal every time I would do three. We did three different tournaments together. We'd have dinner together every night, the night before. I got to, I've got, I've got the only 
National League Baseball signed by Joe DiMaggio. I brought the wrong baseball one time. He said, you want me to ever sign something? And he said, don't ever show this to anybody until after I'm gone. I have the, a National League ball signed to me by Joe DiMaggio. Mm. But I gained friends. And I remember one day out on the course, we were waiting for a, a group to, ahead of us that were kind of slow. And he, he said to me, you know why I like you? I said, why? He said, you've never asked about her. Mm, Marilyn Monroe? Yep. Yeah. That's one of the things he said to me. I remember getting chills when he said that to me. He said, I, I mean that. You've never said a word. And that's, I appreciate that. Anybody that ever did, boom, out of his life. It had to be a different time without people having cell phones and documenting everything that was oh, yeah. happening everywhere. Because oh, yeah. just even DiMaggio, yeah. like the guy world famous, the hit the, has the hit record for uh, yeah. just the guy. Yeah. And if we'd had phones, everything he would have ever done oh. would have been documented. How was it so different back then? Oh, it was so different. I mean, somebody might have had a, a camera, a little disposable camera with them, or somebody might have taken a picture, maybe sent it to you or something. I have no pictures of of uh, my band, the Vaqueros, that opened for all those acts back in the back in the sixties. I have no no nothing from on the New Society that I was in. I have very few things for the, for Mule Deer and Moon Dog. I just. Things happen all the time. I go back and I think, oh, my God, mm. anything. I just All the people that I met, all the people I worked with. And, no, it's totally different. One, the only thing I really like, the only thing I really like right now that I really like, I realize I liked about the 70s, I never lost a phone. <laughs> because there's nothing worse we're, now. Yeah, we're, they, many, we're we many think, to lose. We can't find our phone. Yeah. I have a friend not too long ago, Will Schreiner. He's a great comedian. Was had his own show for, for years. I remember riding with him one time to a golf course. He's talking to his wife, and he's driving, and he's going like this, and and he's looking, he's pulling up things. I said, "Will, what?" And he says, "My phone, my phone. You're on it, Will. It's on your ear. You're on it. You're talking on your <laughs> phone right now. I mean, that's I see things like that. When I get spam calls, I usually say things like, "You're on the air," <laughs> or I'll say things, "Click," or I'll say, say like, "Lawrence County Sheriff's Department." Will you hold? Can you hold? And they go away. And, and oh yeah, yeah. you got to have something to say. Yeah. We interrupt this interview to bring you a message from our sponsor. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, SmileActives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to SmileActives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. 
Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. This is the BobbyCast. I was looking for your documentary. I didn't know it wasn't oh. getting released till released till late this summer. I was all over trying to find it like a month ago. Just got sold. So, and that's why I bring up Conan because I haven't seen the documentary, but I was like looking for anything I could get. Yeah. And so I saw that Conan was a part of it. He starts it off. Yeah. Yeah. So, what is the documentary? When does it come out, and how do we watch it? Five years before COVID, two guys came up to me and said they'd been fans of mine for 20, for 40 years. They were both in their 50s since they were 10. They said, we want to do a documentary on you. I said, okay. And they start following you on all the, send everything you've got that you did, TV shows, anything you have that we can, that we can, we can transfer over and we'll go out and we'll do, go with all the places you played in the early days. We're going to do this whole thing. And he said, the main thing we're going to do is we're going to find a guy to play you when you were young, a guy to play you when you were middle-aged, and then you will play in you, yourself now. And uh, it's pretty amazing. It's got, it's got Conan. It's got Jay Leno. It's got Steve Martin. It's got Kevin Nealon. It's got Carrot Top I was a big, because I was a big uh, influence on him. It's got Callis Cooper. It's got Vince Gill, Amy Grant. A lot of different people doing it. And it's called Show Business is My Life, but I can't prove it. And it's... Uh, it's done great at every screening it's gone to. It's it's won all but two times. It's won best best comedy documentary, and I'm pretty pretty happy with with most of it. How do we get to see it though when it finally does? It's going to start streaming on uh, Netflix and Hulu and everything really? else at the beginning, beginning of September. It was sold to somebody called Comedy Dynamics, who have who put out a lot of different comedy things, and they're just telling me the producers just re you relax. We got a great deal. It's going to be really good. And I say okay, so. Just wait and see. And people love it. Jay Leno called me after he'd, he'd watched it and said, You're the, this, this is the first comedian's documentary that I never fast-forwarded through. Mm. I went back and looked at some of it again. So that, to me, was pretty good. I can't wait to see it. Well, I, I hope we all get to see it. I'm going to send you... I'm going to send you... Uh, I'll consume it I will. immediately. I'm going to send it to you. Yeah, because I'm, I'm a massive fan. I was just looking forward as a fan, not even that you were doing this. I was yeah. just trying to find it on a Sunday because I think about you all the time, day and night. And so... As I was searching for it, I was like, hey, I can't find it. And then I finally saw that it wasn't coming out until the summer. That's why I can't sleep. That's it. That's, That's me. I, you I, see that little thing go by your window. Something. That's <laughs> where it is. A couple other things. I, I just want to bring up a few people. I don't know if you've met them or not. I'm sure in your yeah. you know, travels. Uh, Frank Sinatra. Oh. You have I'm, a Frank Sinatra story? I'm the only guy to ever work with Frank Sinatra and Willie Nelson in the same night. Uh, I got a call at 3 a.m. from Steve Wynn at the Golden Nugget. And... Uh, Back in my Peruvian marching days, I was still up at 3 a.m. He said, 
I'm opening the Crystal Ballroom downtown at the Golden Nugget. I'm going to have Frank Sinatra is going to open and do 40 minutes with the orchestra. We're going to close the curtain. And they're going to strike the orchestra and set up Willie's band. He's going to do two hours. We want you to go out and do in front of the curtain whatever much time we need. So the first night, Frank did the show, and he stayed over to watch me and a little of Willie. So after, my, after they opened it and Willie goes into his song, I'm walking backstage, and uh, Jilly, who is Sinatra's guy, says, the man wants to see you. So I walk over to Sinatra, and he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says, you're a very unusual young man. <laughs> and then I look at Jilly, and he says, that's it, kid. I walked away. That's the only thing I That was it. <laughs> but I got to know Barbara really well. I did 26 Sinatra tournaments with Barbara Sinatra's uh, Children's Foundation. So I got to know her really well. And I never got to see him again, never met him again. But Tom Dreesen opened for him for 14 years. You know, Dreesen was with him a lot. But yeah, that was my deal with uh, Sinatra. Ray Charles? Uh, Ray Charles. Randy Hart, who's the keyboard player now at the opera. He was my guy at the time. Just him and I went out. And uh, we played. There's a thing with Ray Charles. You might have ever heard it about when Ray fires his guitar player Mm -hmm. in the middle. That's Randy's recording on a little cassette sitting in a booth with the, with the, with a girl and he punched the little cassette in that was that was the night we, was, we were working with him mm. I, him and I, we did Frank Sinatra at right there but then we did uh, Roy Orbison and we did Merle Haggard we did all three of those at the, at the Sahara at the time but that was Randy's recording you'll hear that did you ever meet or spend any time with Andy Kaufman yes Andy Kaufman was the only time I ever saw Andy break was when he was that character with the, that character and he had the bras on his on his arms and talk you know he had the, the character he never went out of it never came out of it but we went to the restroom together at the improv and we were standing at the urinals and nobody had ever seen nobody had ever seen andy break and we're standing there and coffin looks over he says mulder how you doing in his regular voice yeah. said, good man he says you you uh, i've never heard you talk like this he said this is it and we went back and finished our business went back out and he was that guy again and I never, never saw him break. That's the only time ever. Yeah, that's one great memory of Andy Kaufman. Yeah. It's like you have a really great memory of Frank Sinatra, one. Yeah. One of uh, Kaufman. Yeah. And you did a letterman, you said twice, but I mean, two, the two different versions of the show. I did, yeah. I did probably 10 of each. What kind of guy was Dave when, when the show wasn't on? When the show wasn't on, he's very private. Man, very private. I remember out of all those shows, maybe going back after the show, had the show, had dinner with him once before the show at one of the shows, and went up maybe two times after the office, after the shows. Because David, as soon as the show's over, he's back watching it, every bit of it, to see what he liked, what he didn't like. He was never satisfied. I never saw David satisfied completely. He'd walk off stage, he would, he would do a great show, but there was always something that he, he, did, he didn't like. And it was the same way with watching the show afterwards. And pretty soon it got to where I think, you know, that was, was he. I I felt like I'm not gonna say, Dave. Can I see you after the show? I just kind of knew that he mm. he he was more comfortable just being, you know, getting staying. God, he almost lived there. Yeah, he almost lived at the studio. You know. What about Dolly? Early Dolly, like you guys, younger. <laughs> wow, I got a call to. They're gonna do Dolly at the Riviera. She's gonna make the most money anyone's ever made, more than Sinatra. They're gonna put just Dolly on the on the thing on the thing, and they're gonna have uh, just Dolly and. and uh, she was getting three hundred fifty thousand, and they wanted me to open for her for thirty five hundred. I said okay. So, the place is packed every night. And you hear the announcer going, "Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dolly Parton show." The people just screaming and yelling and clapping, and you hear 
and fair, please welcome Gary Gildare. Which nobody ever heard. And maybe 10 people out of the audience knew who I was. And I'd get out to the audience and it took me about 10, 15 minutes to get them settled down because they were shocked to see me walk out. I got no billing at all. And, but it's funny that Dolly just was just so down home, off stage, backstage. I met her the first day. She was ironing her own clothes in her dressing room when I walked by and, and I saw this, I saw her, she was just this little tiny thing without a wig. And it took me a minute to think, oh, Dolly. And she says, come on in, Gary. Gary Mueller, I love your stuff. Come on in. We talked and became friends. But she was just so natural. Just so, I remember one thing that happened with that show. I remember Mike Douglas came out on a Friday night with his wife to give Dolly the SAG Award. And they were going to do it in the middle of her show. And so Mike, Mike uh, Douglas is standing at the counter, the check-in counter at the hotel, because his wife didn't like the room, and she's bored, and she's playing a progressive slot machine in the middle of the lobby. And she got 20 bucks and went over to play it, and it went off. And she had $30,000. <laughs> and guys had been playing that machine for weeks and weeks and weeks. And she goes, ooh. And they said, well, you got to put the money in these little trays. And she says, I don't want to touch that stuff. <laughs> so they put the money in the trays for it, and now you have to come over to the... You have to come over to the you know, to the, to the cage, we have to write out a check and do we do this, all this stuff, and taxes. And like, really? I said, yeah, you have to do that. So she was just, okay, all right, going over and doing all this stuff. And like, oh, geez. <laughs> Hearing her that night saying, you can't believe what I had to go through to win $30,000. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Oh, I got three final questions for you. All right. Uh, number one, why are you still going so hard? I don't know. I can't, I can't stop. Everybody I've seen that stopped can't get going again. Plus, I love it. I just am so happy to be right here where I am. This is where I'm supposed to be. I just know this is where I'm supposed to be. So I just, I don't think I'm going to quit. This is not one of the three, but you ever think about moving to Nashville? Yeah, I have, but humidity is really bad for my hair. <laughs> <laughs> How good of a golfer are you and were you at your best? I was at my best when I was probably in my middle 50s. I was never very good. I got down to a 14 once. Now I hit from the red tees. Because I'm over, I'm the oldest person ever be inducted into the Opry. By the way, I think at 83 years old, wow. I think I'm the oldest one. But uh, now I hit from the red tees. Uh, I think I'm about a 20 from the red tees. From the white tees, I'm about a 25. From the gold tees, I'm probably about a 30. From the blue tees, I'm probably <laughs> a 35. And from the black tees, I just want to hit it past the reds. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. The way it is. You still enjoy playing? I love. It. I do. Yeah, yeah I do. And I, I like scrambles. They don't have to drive. They'll never use my drive. I'm a pretty good chipper and putter. Yeah. And does that have anything to do with this new CDAF coming out in three months? Probably not. But I thought I better put it in. Well, I mean, we're going to get to that in a second because <laughs> the documentary in the summer, and I'm going to get to the CD here in just a minute. Um, are there any are there any jokes you don't use anymore that you'd like to pass on to me? I have jokes that I can't use anymore. Like what? <laughs> Give me one that I can now use that I will always know this was a Gary Mule Deer joke. Well, but I don't, it's not politically correct. Mm, okay, well, then I can't do it. You can't do it. And one thing about you're going to see in this documentary is they act out some of my jokes. You hear my voice, mm. and they're mouthing. They, they act, but you actually will see the joke and hear my voice. I'm trying to think, and I'm not going to say the joke. Did you do it when I saw you a few weeks ago yeah. at the Opry? Was it about a dog? Yeah. Is the final joke about a dog? Uh, my final joke is about a parrot. Hmm. Okay, I guess the dog, or it's like a, the dog's butt. Dog is, is, I do a dog song for the kids. I do a pit bull song. Yeah, there's also like, 
kiss oh, yeah. goodbye. Well, I, don't, I don't remember what it was. I want to repeat your joke, but I, I remember being so funny. Okay, I don't even. Oh, I remember the parrot one now. I got. It. I'm not gonna spoil it. I remember the parrot one. The you parrot's know. saying something. It's a yeah, parrot. Yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah, obviously, that's parrots it. say yeah. something in jokes, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, the live or the the CD or the, I guess that's not really a CD, but yes, that new album. Yeah, new album. Yeah. Where have you? Did you record it or have you not recorded it recorded yet? Recorded it live. Did it a place just before COVID at a place called Bach Tower Gardens in uh, in Florida. And now we hadn't worked for a while. Myself, and my production guy, and we just decided to just do the show that night for the heck of it. And it turned out to be real good. I didn't know how good I was going to be because we hadn't worked much because of COVID. And it just turned out really well. And there's, uh, I just had, I've got, what I do, I have a, when I'm on the road in my show, I, have, I, I travel with the Duck and Cover Band. That's the name of my production company, is Duck and Cover Productions. I have the Duck and Cover Band. And what the Duck and Cover Band is are tracks of the Opry Band. The best guys. I've got Eddie Bears on drums. I've got all these great Benny Parks on guitar. I got Steve Warner. I've got I've got everybody. That's so there's nobody with you. Everybody, no. Yes. But yeah. I tell people, I tell people at night, you're going to hear them. You're not going to see them. And then I have empty instruments on stage. So when because a guitar break, boom, the spotlight goes to the guitar break, which is LED and flashes. If I want a bass solo, it's over here. Got an empty empty set of drums. I got empty. Everything is all. All the guys, you just don't see them, but they're the best tracks. And I tell people, you're going to really hear good players tonight. <laughs> and I do that. When yeah. is this album coming out? Uh, we're gonna, hopefully we're going to have it out probably in, in October. We're hoping to do it right. I want to put some some good artwork in it and some things. And uh, I've got three or four CDs that I've had for years that still sell. I don't know why. They still, I got one that I did at the Ice House in pa- Pasadena back in 70, 76. It's, for years, it was... I was getting residuals, maybe ten dollars a month. Now it's like three or four hundred. I'm going like, what in the world? It's all from the opera exposure. Right. That's all it is. Hey, Mike, anything you want to ask Gary before? We go? I mean, I could do three hours with them. Yeah. What but, is your shortest joke? My shortest joke is, uh, let's see, my shortest joke is, um, oh boy, God, you know, I've got, I got some really short ones. Um, 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 guy calls, guy calls up his boss, says I'm sick. His boss says, what's wrong? The guy says, I have anal glaucoma. He says, what's that? The guy says, I really can't see my ass coming into work today. That's a 20-second joke. <laughs> that's the one I was thinking that's about when one? I said butt. Yeah, I don't yeah. know why I thought yeah. dog, that's but as, that's, that's the one. That's as wild as I get. I mean, that's 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 over the top for me almost. That's when I saw Caitlin's grandfather freaking dying laughing. He was repeating that one when we left. <laughs> Great. Yeah. yeah, he was repeating that one. Look, I'm a massive fan. Oh, I'm, pleasure, We've man. done over an hour here. Oh, man. I love watching you at the Opry. You're inspiring. You know, to a guy like me who does a little bit of music, a little bit of comedy, yeah, a little bit of, but to, to, well. to watch you do it, like you're still just so good. Well, so I, I, I just, I appreciate your friendship. Congratulations on the opera. I know how much that means to you. Everything. Yeah. Do you, do you, I'm going to ask you one question. Yeah. Do you think you're at the best now you've ever been at what you do? I think you probably are. I think that I've met, uh, this is the real answer. I, Probably yes, because I've done it wrong so many times okay. that I know if something starts to go in a direction uh-huh. that I know doesn't feel right, I know how to quickly address abort and get back on track. Exactly. Yeah. The same way. So I, I figured so. There's several of us like that. I've talked to Johnny Mathis about it, talked to everybody about it. They've been around a while. Steve Martin, everybody. Yeah, we're the best now at what we do we ever have. You feel that about yourself yes, too? Yes, I do. Just, I, do. It, I just feel experience of things not going right. Yeah doesn't make my ceiling higher, yeah. but what it does is it keeps me really high uh-huh. for almost all the time because right. I've 
messed up so many times, I now can see that coming or this coming. <laughs> that's right. So I can dodge it. That's right. Yeah. That's so that's, right. A, that's an interesting question. I never really thought about that. Yeah. Uh, a huge fan. I'll see you many, many more times, I'm sure. Are you still going back to, but you're not playing at Pebble Beach, right? I'm at not Pro playing Am? anymore. No, I play. I can't walk seven miles a day anymore. Do you it's, still enjoy going out there? Oh, yeah. I Clint has me come out, and Clint has me do his tournament every year, and I'm his partner with a couple other guys. And at 92, he's, you know, I've got a song. I do a song on my show now with, uh, I, I do a lot of senior jokes. And I say, you know, I, I'm a senior. I mean, I'm one year older than Bugs Bunny and four years younger than Porky Pig. I mean, and that's true. That's 1939. And, uh, yeah, uh, four years ago, Clint was playing golf with Toby Keith at, 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 up at his Tehama up in mm -hmm. Carmel. And Clint's, and Clint said, I gotta, I'm going to be 88 this year. Toby said, what are you going to do? And Clint said, well, I got a movie coming up. We go into production Monday. And Toby said, what keeps you going? And Clint said, I get up every morning and try not to let the old man in. Well, that Toby wrote the song. And now I do this song in the middle of my, sh my show now. I've never done a song in the middle of my comedy act. But, and I'll tell you something. You can't believe how many people relate to it. Really? It's really, a, it really yeah, it, it's for people that are old, older. Yeah. The documentary later this year, the live album, we'll talk about both when they come out and have more details. Uh, at Gary underscore Mule Deer on Instagram. And just a big fan, and thanks for the time. Oh, man. It's awesome. My pleasure. There he is. Love this episode of The Bobby Cast? Subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.